Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan, and today we're talking about how we understand and think about our well-being. Most people have only a vague understanding of what drives their psychological well-being. That's a bit like driving a car and not having a dashboard to look at. Increasingly, we're realizing that just as it's important to have financial and reading literacy as adults, it's also important to have well-being literacy. In other words, we need to know what drives our well-being. Once we realize that we need a dashboard, then the next question is, what should be on it? In other words, what's our model of well-being? My guest today is Dr. Paula Robinson, Managing Director of the Positive Psychology Institute in Australia. Based in Sydney, Paula works all over Australia and Asia in corporate organizations and in education, developing well-being models that people in the workplace and in education are happy to use has been the subject of Paula's research for many years. Paula's model of mental fitness has been adopted by the Sydney Business School where she lectures on their MBA. So Paula's definitely the person to talk to about well-being models and what should be on our dashboard. Paula, welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. We're delighted to have you here. Oh, Denise, oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Delight. Um, so let's start off with talking about how you got interested in mental fitness as a concept and, and how you came to call it that. Yes, that's, that's a great question because uh, it's really the core of, of me as a psychologist. I decided very early on I didn't want to spend a lot of time fixing people. You know, after they got sick, I just found that the medical model had moved so far in the sense that we weren't waiting till people had heart attacks and cancer. We were actually, um, I suppose, telling them now what to do to prevent heart attacks and cancer. And I felt psychology was way behind in that area because we were waiting till, still waiting till people got, you know, depression, anxiety, chronic stress or whatever it is, and then we were telling them all the great stuff that we knew. So prevention uh, became, you know, interesting to me. And mm. when I was working with my clients, I found that the language of mental health very stigmatized, very difficult. I work with a lot of executives with anxiety, stress, depression, a lot of individuals. And I realized that that glaze over when I'd start talking about mental health. So I decided to think about it from my own perspective. What sort of language would I have liked to have heard if I was in that normal population, just suffering from low levels of mental illness or just languishing? Uh, I decided that I needed a new way of explaining uh, positive mental health. So fitness came to mind and I thought people could understand fitness in a similar way to physical fitness. And one of the big challenges of psychologists is trying to get people to do things regularly, to create habits of mind. And people think you come to a psychologist and you get some interventions and they do it once and off they go. You know, we're supposed to have changed their brain neural pathways in, you know, five minutes sort of thing. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. well, we need to get people to understand, first of all, you know, mental health 
and mental fitness are the same as physical health and physical fitness. So physical fitness is optimal functioning, physical health is lack of disease. Mental health is lack of mental disease and mental fitness is optimal functioning. And I just try and give people that analogy and they like that and they started to engage with it and said, oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And um, so that was good. And, but being a scientist at heart, of course, then I had to bring it to life scientifically. And you wanted yours to be more, your well-being model to be more than a great idea and to actually have some research behind it and some evidence. Oh, yes, because I have to practice what I preach and I preach science. So you wanted to bring scientific rigour to mental fitness in the way that the medical world does for physical health? I think mental health, mental fitness should be exactly the same, that we've got evidence-based, it's been tested, we know it works, and uh, we can move forward from there. So tell us more about, yeah, how you came to have your model and what's in it. I thought, why can't we start to look at mental health, mental fitness in the same way as the way we view physical fitness, competitive edge, giving us, uh, you know, the, the ability to navigate things that are difficult because we're feeling pretty good, we're pretty energised. Paula, after you decided on mental fitness as the area you wanted to study, what was your next step? I engaged uh, 30 experts from around the world that I, they had very strict criteria to come on board my panel to develop a, a definition and also the, um, uh, the principles, the guiding uh, assumptions of mental fitness. I know you examined a huge raft of well-being constructs with up to 450 questions to assess well-being and then you refined that down to under 80. And what did you find? What was fantastic about my, my modelling that I did statistically, I ended up with four factors, what we call four factors. And uh, I ended up, they, they fell beautifully statistically, the items, and they, I ended up naming them strength, flexibility, endurance and team. And that following that uh, physical fitness strategy. So I don't talk psychobabble with my clients. I talk, let's, oh, you're a bit low on strengths. Let's do some strengths work or you're a bit low on flexibility. Let's do flexibility work or you need some endurance. But what's amazing is what sits under those four factors are all of the wonderful constructs that we know in positive mental health actually are teachable, developmental, and we can improve them with people. So I don't bore them with all of that. But I like it. It's so, so rather than having um, a big model, it's, it's right, here it is. If you want to build your mental fitness, you need to focus on your strength, your flexibility, your endurance, and your team. Yes. So talk us through each of those in turn. What lies under the strengths piece? Okay. Well, the items that came out, the constructs that, that sit, that are tried and true, that's a lovely thing. Uh, they're all really well researched. Now, when you look, uh, I'll give you some examples. When we look at strength, we look at do you know your strengths and do you use them on a regular basis? We look at meaning and purpose in your life. So they were the major items that came out under strength. So what gives you strength is knowing the meaning and purpose in your life and knowing and using your strengths on a regular basis. All really easy and positive side because we know that those interventions are important to well-being. Then we move into flexibility 
and that was an amazing one because we found that um, in flexibility, mindfulness came out. The mindfulness items were very strong. So I guess being very self-aware and, and self-regulation around uh, monitoring your uh, ability to be in the present and to understand and accept uh, what's happening in your life without judging it or and being able to observe it, as the mindfulness research tells us, doing a bit of meditation. Oh, what also came out in flexibility, which I was very pleased about, was uh, acceptance. So items of acceptance are about uh, accepting the self, liking the self, self-compassion, and accepting the things we can't change and changing the things we can. And I think acceptance is a little bit underrated sometimes. in Absolutely. But I absolutely love it and I love teaching it to my clients. I'm really interested in this because I'm, I'm going, yay, there's no other well-being model that really groups these together that I no. know. And I'm not just... scientifically, that's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I know that um, for me, um, okay, physical flexibility I'm not going to get my leg over my head, but I really want to work on my psychological flexibility because this is the piece that so many people seem to get stuck on. Yes. And we know that if, if we can be psychologically flexible and go, well, maybe it's this way or maybe it is that, then that's a cornerstone of resilience. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And interestingly, under endurance, resilience came out. Uh, quite strongly. So did uh, self de- two parts of self-determination theory, which is feeling competent and having autonomy in your life and work, which we know is uh, crucial to motivation. The other one that came out in endurance was self-efficacy, which is a tried and true construct by Bandura going back, you know, about 70 years. So believing in yourself and teaching people to do that. And the other one that came out in endurance was your positive emotional ratio. Oh, interesting. Yes. So there's quite a lot in endurance, but all really, when you look at them, you think, wow, yeah, they are through the bad times, through enduring things uh, that perhaps are, are difficult. Those, All of those constructs as a psychologist to me are really, really crucial. So that was endurance. So, Paula, can, can I just ask, so, so with endurance, is that more, um, it's kind of like this is what allows us to knuckle down and keep going. Well, yeah, absolutely. When, when things get tough. Absolutely. And, and so I can, I'm, I'm loving that we've got kind of really meaty, as a vegetarian, I'm choosing to say meaty, really <laughs> meaty constructs like self-efficacy, like really believing in ourselves. Um, sitting side by side with how important it is to have some, some positive emotion, to have some joy, to have... Ratio, yeah. But that keeps us going. Oh, and also that, um, that basics of self-determination where I, do, I am made to feel competent, which ties in with self efficacy and so you can see why they fell together and then looking at autonomy and people who are in a very controlled way of life externally controlled usually are very low in motivation and feel very helpless so all of that endurance construct for me or factor it was very powerful 
Mm. And, you know, just, just going back to flexibility, uh, another thing that came out talking about positive emotional ratio, in flexibility, the blocks to flexibility were three emotions, negative emotions, uh, and they were fear, shame and guilt. Ooh, interesting. Say more about that. Yeah, well, it popped up in the flexibility construct, in the flexibility uh, factor, and it showed that you, flexibility was not being able to be developed if you had high levels of fear, shame and guilt as, as emotion, negative emotions. And I just thought that was amazing because they are the ones that would block, you know, you being able to, uh, I suppose, move forward and be flexible in your thoughts. If you're carrying the past, you know, fear, uh, uh, sorry, shame and guilt in the past or fear of the future and mindfulness is about being in the present. Yeah. So they sort of map really well into how that all fitted together. Mm. So I was very interested in that. And I think, Paula, like when, when you talk about those, I, and I'm thinking about flexibility, mm. I'm thinking about flexibility as the ability to see that it's not, as well, it's not black and it's not white, there's shades yeah. in between. Whereas if we're really experiencing a lot of shame and guilt, we it's very black and white. It's very much it's my fault, I did it, and I'm bad, rather yeah, than... some it's been stuck in the past. Yeah, yeah. Because guilt and shame is about the past. Yeah. And you can't move forward if you're still carrying that. And, and it's back to acceptance. You can't change the past. So that's that part of flexibility is you can't change that. So you have to let that go and you have to bring yourself to the present. And you can't be fearful of the future. You know, it's that past is history, the future is a mystery, you know. Where are we now? Yeah. yeah. You know, and that tied in really well with acceptance and mindfulness. Yeah. So I loved how that all fell together. And, of course, um, our team is, was so obvious. All the items in team were about social support, social connectedness, relatedness in self-determination theory. All of those things were about... Um, us being a social species and without that support of others, without our team, you know, some might call it your tribe, but, you know, we need those people and we know through research it's the number one predictor of well-being. So you can't sort of keep uh, moving forward and being mentally fit without knowing who's on your team and who's part of your life that's really, really important and, and would always help you through the good times and the bad. So I think that those four factors and what sits underneath them is very powerful. It's, it's not everything, but it's pretty good. You know, it's, it's a pretty great way to work with a client. I share well-being models with a lot of people, and we're always trying to find things that will be big enough that people can go, yes, I'm capturing most of what I need here, but simple enough that I feel I can get my head around it and use it. And I'm looking at this thinking, yeah, I can easily visualize my dashboard in front of me with strength, flexibility, endurance, and team. How am I doing on those? And, you know, it's four fingers of one hand, and I can, I can think about it that way. That's so true. And it's simple language. It's that we don't want psychobabble. We don't want to complicate it. And we can pull out those constructs and, and map them onto those sim that simple language and develop people through those that simple language. I just think it makes such a difference. So if I want to become a well-being ninja <laughs> and really work on my well-being, um, 
what your model is providing evidence for is saying, if I'm working on my strengths, if I can work on, on my sense of meaning and purpose, if I've got a real sense of being able to be mindful, that psychological flexibility, and I know what I'm about, and I've got some sense of self-efficacy, and I'm having some fun, yeah. and I've got people around me that, that I'm, I'm well on my way. You're really doing well. I think that that is a, a great sort of a package, I suppose, for well-being for me when I'm talking to people and thinking about them. And we've also been doing some validity studies uh, with the measure, and we've found it highly correlates with Carol Riff's work on psychological well-being and uh, a few other measures that uh, you know I actually really love. So I'm, I'm seeing that mental fitness validity is starting to to come through really nicely certainly reliability is there and uh, so that's been good and the other thing the way I attach it to well-being is I say well-being is the outcome mental fitness is the process oh I like that yes. can I just say as well Paula I love I love that you are able to be really practical you know your mantra of no psychobabble and that you can get in and work with people really effectively and that you really care about the statistical, the validity and the science behind it as well. I certainly do. And I think also uh, people have to learn that mental fitness, positive mental health is something we need to work out regularly. I know you and I, Denise, would say the same. Nobody feels great all the time. No, we don't have magic bullets. But what we can do is get people into habits of mental fitness and every day that they can have a look at it and see what they can utilize to move them you know into a better place just up that you know mental health yeah, spectrum. yeah. and Paula now we are we are heading down the time um, very quickly I just wanted to say can you tell us very briefly about maybe about an organization that's adopted the model and how they've used it yes and people are using it in a lot of different ways and I guess my favorite um, organization if I can call them that is that have used it over many many years is Knox Grammar School in Sydney which is I think the largest boys school in the southern hemisphere private school they've invested a lot what they did is they took their own brand and they called it total fitness so they used the things in the school that was important to them uh, and they their brand is spiritual physical, um, social, emotional and academic and they have they are their four fitness outcomes and so that's Knox Total Fitness but what sits under Knox Total Fitness is all of the mental fitness stuff nice. that's into those outcomes, those four outcomes in their brand and their model. And uh, so we've developed um, a culture of of total fitness uh, at Knox Grammar. Everybody knows what it is. There's a huge database of interventions for all teachers, all leaders, different age groups of the boys, right from prep right through to year 12. And we're now working on transition programs at certain stages, which I think would map into organisational work as well, on how do you, trans how do you become mentally fit when you cross from um, primary school to high school or from high school to university. Oh, you nice. Know, a lot of grief and loss in, in those times for, for children. So we're, we're looking at, at grief and loss of losing primary school and all your teachers and then moving into high school and then losing, I guess, in year 12, going to uni and losing your whole 
school family, you know, it's yeah. not being addressed. So we're using fitness to, to try and now develop transitional models. And, and I love, Paula, that from what I'm hearing is that you now have this school that goes from primary right through to the end of high school yeah. where mental fitness is, um, is part of the everyday language, that people, people are talking about how they build their mental fitness in the same way that previously people have been really comfortable talking about yeah. building their physical fitness. And the younger generation, they understand fitness. They want it. They, they want competitive edge. You know, they, they love the concept. And they told us in our research there after a couple of years, oh, we're sick of positive psychology. We don't like psychology. We don't like well-being. Like it's a bit fluffy, but we like fitness, yes. And, and I think people can just adopt that really easily. So the boys were very crucial uh, into changing that language. And I think organisationally where I work and lecture at Sydney Business School, we get the same thing. I can engage the high-level leaders on the executive MBA just by the lens of mental fitness. fitness yeah. yeah, lovely. That is so powerful and so important. Thank you. So, thank you. <laughs> now, a couple of two final questions for you before... Um, before we finish, if you could only do one thing to help people for the rest of your life, what would it be? I think oh, it's, it's a difficult one, but I guess my passion is teaching people about their thoughts. Thoughts are not facts. And I think thoughts are the biggest single problem that we have in mental health and sometimes physical health. Uh, how we think uh, is who we are. And, and unfortunately, people don't analyse those thoughts every day, 50,000 thoughts a day on average. I want people to engage with their thinking. Uh, to me, that's something we should learn from kindergarten. What am I thinking? Is it real? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it, yeah. it performance-based or are they ants, automatic negative thoughts? So turning ants into pets. <laughs> automatic negative thoughts into performance-enhancing thoughts. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> and then finally, Paula, what's your go-to strategy for boosting your own well-being when you feel frustrated or down? Yeah, well, the first thing I do is look at what I just said to myself when I'm feeling, uh, you know, I, I'm challenged or, or down. Uh, I, I look at what, what, what am I saying to myself and I try and reframe. Uh, I've learned to do that quite well. But, but my go-to thing is music too. If I want to change my mood fast, I have the, the music that makes me feel good that I want to dance around the house or dance in my office or something. You know that music? Yes. That music you know, you start to move and go, I like this song. I think it's primal. I think it's hardwired. I, I love that and I think music is incredibly powerful. So oh, as a quick that would be my I love it and I love that we can talk about, you know, all of these different strategies and yet um, when we need to pull one out of the bag, it can be so simple. It can be yes. the music that makes you want to smile and dance. I love yes, it. absolutely agree. Paula, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope it helps a little bit. So well-being is the outcome and mental fitness is the process that Paula wants us all to try. I've been trying out different well-being models on my personal dashboard for a long time. I think Paula's mental fitness might work well for me. 
I'll be checking in over the next week on how I'm doing on strength, flexibility, endurance and team. Why don't you do the same? Paula also reminded us not to believe everything we think. Watch out for your automatic thoughts this week and challenge any unhelpful thinking. And finally, I'm loving that Paula's reminded us that when you need a quick emotional turnaround, play some music that makes you feel like singing and dancing. I'm off to update my happy playlist. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to listen to a podcast of this show, you can find it on or.org.nz or at nziwr.co.nz. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their wellbeing and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz.